this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. I'm going to be kicking off a, a, a trilogy of messages. Often we refer to it as series, but these days trilogies are more in. So um, it's, it's going to be one of three, and uh, I'm going to sort of lay the foundation for the other two today. Yeah, so the, the title of, of the sort of the trilogy is called Gods at War, and it comes from a, mostly from a book of Kyle Eidelman uh, entitled Gods at War. Felt just uh, a lot of it comes out of it, not everything, but a lot does. And uh, I'm going to be sharing a little bit around this. Before I get into this, let's, let's pray. Father, Lord, I just want to just come and consecrate myself, Lord, and, and pray, God, that you would come and speak your word, minister your word. Lord, I um, just want to remove myself, humble myself, and say, Lord, come and use, use us. Holy Spirit. Pray, come and minister the word into our hearts, Lord. We want to open up our hearts and joyfully receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So just as we get into this, I'm often reminded that we come to church. I want to ask you, the last time you were at church, whether it was here or somewhere else, what did you do with what God spoke to you about then? Did you go and apply it? Did you do it? Whether it's surrendering, then you need to surrender. If God says be still, then you need to be still, obviously. So the action is sometimes an inaction. But um, my question is, what do you do with the Word of God when you actually hear God speaking to you? Do you actually go and do it? Um, And I would want to encourage you that if you're not in the habit of writing down or journaling and those kinds of things, I want to invite you and encourage you to get into the habit of that. What did God speak to you about a week ago? Most of you can sort of still remember. Short-term memory is good. What did God speak to you about a month ago? Sort of starts fading. But if you journaled what God is busy talking to you about, then you can actually reference back to it and say, ah, wow, God said this here, or I prayed about this here, and I was standing in faith about this. A year down the line, you can actually reflect back to this and um, and look at look back at that. And I'm reminded of the Scripture. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends off his, his sermon, and he says, the wise builders are those that hear God's word and applies it, does it. it actually does the word of God. Uh, he builds his house on a rock. Wind comes, the storms come, and it stands solid. But the foolish builder builds it on the sand. He hears the word of God but doesn't apply it. When the winds come and the rains come, it comes down with a great crash. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to people that was listening to him. But the ones that are going to remain standing is the ones that actually then apply it. So I want to encourage you to, not only for today, but whenever you spend time with God, whether it's in your own quiet time, the Word of God, or whether it's a church, whatever God is talking to you about, make a note of what it is that He's talking to you about and what it is that He wants you to do about it. Okay, amen. It's a good place to say amen. Okay, thanks, Steph. All right. Read with me from Exodus 20, verse 2 to 3. The whole thing about God's at war, the question really is, just in our lives, what is the issue? And uh, 
We read in verse 2 to 3, it says, I am the Lord your God. This is God giving Moses uh, the Ten Commandments. He starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, just a little bit of a history lesson. Remember, Israel just came out of Egypt, and God delivered them. They're in, they're in the desert. And in Egypt, everywhere you went, there was idols. There was crafted idols, which... The Egyptians bowed down to, worshipped, etc. So God is sort of referencing back, I want you to know, have no other gods before me. So he's looking back from where, from where they are coming. Just a quick thing. Now obviously, um, I'm just putting this scripture in here for, for, um, for context, but in Jeremiah 12 verse 11, he, he says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged the glorious God for worthless idols. I'm talking in the context of gods, in the context of idols who aren't really gods. It's it's not as if we believe that it's God the Almighty, and then you got Zeus and all of those guys. Okay, it's we we don't believe that there are other gods per se, but obviously with a small small G God. we're referencing to, to idols. And I want to I show you a couple of pictures. This is when we were in India. Um, this is from two different, two different mission trips. Um, this one, I think, was in 2007. Christine and I were together there. Uh, I don't know who all these gods are in India. Hinduism, they've got millions of gods. Okay? So even in the north and the south, it will differ. East and the west, it will differ. Okay? So, um, but what they do is... They make a lot of sacrifices to these carved out images. And they'll put flowers there and they'll put even food there or water or whatever. And they'll bow down to, to these images. You can show that next one there, Sebastian. Um, that's also just a picture of one of the temples. And you see this everywhere in India, except in New Delhi, because the British built New Delhi. Um, but in the other parts of Delhi, you also see that there's all, everywhere these temples. Some massive temples and some small temples, and you you, you smell incense, viruk, everywhere. You walk down the street, you smell that. It's not a bad thing because it doesn't always smell that great there in the street. Um, but it's it's interesting how you how smell can immediately put your memory back into another place of where you've experienced that. And so, it, whenever I smell incense, I always think back. There and um, uh, the next one there, there, there's this is all just on the street and there's it, it symbolizes different ones. Um, I'm going to show you this next one is when we were in, in Varanasi. Uh, you've heard Sias, uh, you can go to the next one, Sebastian. This is in Varanasi, which is sort of like almost a little bit of like a capital or not a capital and like a mecca for the Hindus as they do pilgrimages there. Got the Ganges River that flows through there, and the Hindus believe that the Ganges sort of originates out of one of the gods' heads out in, out in the mountains and then flows through Varanasi. So they do a lot of pilgrimages there, and they do ceremonial cleansing in this, in this river, which is ironic because we, we were on the boat and we go down the river and you see a dead cow lying in the, in the water there, and then you see a sewage pipe coming in here, and then you see a dead body there, and then you see the people bathing and doing ceremonial cleansing. It sort of like breaks your mind. But anyway, and uh, next one, um, those are also just from the riverbank. So there is massive temples, and next one, 
There, you can sort of see it in the, in the distance. There's a little bit of a glow there in the middle. That's a, that's a place where they um, cremate the bodies and then throw it into the river, and they believe that they'll have a better um, reincarnation, etc., etc. Okay, so that, that's just it's one of the most spiritually intense places that I've experienced in my life. Next one, this is a guru that, for the Hindus, the cows are sacred. Um, so they walk in the roads, these cows, and if you know a little bit about the traffic in India, they'll walk in the middle of peak hour traffic and, and, and nobody actually chases this cow out of the road because they believe it's, it's a god. All right, so, and then the last one was, yeah, the last one, I'm going to show you, that's, that's a crucifix with Jesus hanging on the cross, and this is also in a temple. Um, now, for a lot of Hindus, they actually believe that Jesus is also one of the gods. You minister Jesus there, and some are like, yeah, no, yeah, we know Jesus, he heals us, or, he's, he's, or they have a different connotation to Jesus. So, so they also worship Jesus, and they put these flowers around them, etc. Um, now, these are all representations of carved-out images, idols. And um, I want to sort of just bring it back into our context. If you read with me just further from verse 4 and 5, out of Exodus 20, it says, God says to Moses, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And it's a little bit ironic that at the time when God actually tells Moses this, what are the Israelites doing at the bottom of the mountain? They're making and carved out idol. The Israelites comes to Aaron and says, this fellow, Moses, is staying away too long. You make us a God which we can follow. So he gathers all of their gold, throws it into the fire, and then they carve out this image. Very funny. Moses comes down the mountain, freaks out, breaks the tablets, um, and he asks Aaron, what did, they, what did these people do to you that you go to? And Aaron's response is like, well... We took the gold and we threw it in the fire and out came this golden calf. Yeah. So it, it, he, sort of, he, he sort of digresses from the actual conflict situation. But anyway, it's slightly besides the point. But, he's, but yes, God, God is saying to, to, to Moses, you, you shall not make for yourself any idol. You, know, you shan't make. Now, now we, we're easy to judge when we look at the guys in India or when we look at the context of this, but... In our, in our scenario, are we really that different? And the question is, what, what do we typically substitute for the worship of God? And I, want to, and I want us to have a look at that. We typically replace God with statues of our own creation, like DIY idolatry. Okay? You don't necessarily go and carve it out, but you go carve it out in either in that which you give importance to or into what we decide to give our affection to. Um, how about a house that we constantly upgrade? A promotion that comes with a corner office? Acceptance into a fraternity or sorority? A team that wins the cup? Curry Cup or World Cup? Soccer? Euro? Where's the, Portug- where's, where's the Portuguese? Yeah. They're not here today. Um, a body that is toned and fit, especially for the CrossFitters. 
Um, we work hard at molding and creating our own, our own golden calves. And here's the, here's the thing, is that anything that becomes the purpose or driving force of your life probably points back to idolatry. If, it's, if God is not the primary one who you live for, then it often points back to, to idolatry. So here's, if you have a food addiction, you need to ask the question, why? If you have a hot button issue, like you flare up, just like that, if somebody mentions this, ask the question, why? If you plan to go shopping this weekend, but you're drowning in debt already, ask the question, why? And if you spend countless hours doing, you fill in the blank, X, Y, and Z, why? Now, there's no, not so much a problem with those things per se. It's just it depends on what you answer the why question with. Okay, so let's look at... Sorry, I almost skipped half of the sermon there. Okay, so to identify some gods in your life, look at what you pursue and look at what you create. The problem comes in with something takes the place of God. The moment it becomes an end in itself rather than a means to serve, glorify, and worship God, then it becomes an idol. And when we hear God saying, you shall have no idols before me, what he is saying is, is we think hierarchy. We think God needs to be first and then all the other stuff. But he's like, I need... He's not, before me, he's actually talking about, you will have no other God in my presence. Like, I'm God, and everything else in your life flows from that place of where I am God, where I am Lord. So, what lies beneath here, what we often do, is we, we love to treat symptoms and not the cause. We love, let me tell you this story. It's like we go to the doctor and he actually picks up that you have lung cancer. But he doesn't want to break the news to this guy. So he just gives him medicine to treat his cough. He doesn't actually tell him that your problem is actually cancer. So he just treats the symptoms the whole time, but he doesn't actually tell him what is the real issue. And that's a problem with with, with us as well, with most of our sin, the things that we struggle with, is normally a form of idolatry. It normally begins with a form of idolatry. Why do I say that? If you, if you struggle with, or I've, got a, I've got an example up here for you. Um, you can just go two, two slides on there. Um, Oh, sorry, I'll get back to that. Okay, just, just hang on. Okay, here's something that Kyle Eidelman says. Idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Rather, it's the one great sin that all others come from. So if you start scratching at whatever struggle you're dealing with, eventually you'll find that underneath it is a false god. Until that god is dethroned, the Lord takes his right, um, and the Lord takes his rightful place. You will not have victory. Idolatry isn't an issue. It is the issue. And I'll explain that in a moment. 
Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And in Proverbs 27, verse 19 says, As water reflects the faith, the faith, the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And here's a story I want to share with you. And, and, and the, the battle that we're facing here isn't an outward battle. The, 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 the place where this happens, where this battle takes place, is in our hearts. It isn't an outward battle. Here's a story, is, and, and it's similar to, to treating the symptoms rather than treating what the actual cause is, is you pitch at this river, you go camping for a weekend, you go you, you go pitch next to a river, and you see that there's a whole lot of rubbish. For those guys that are staying next to the Yixkei River, you'll relate to this. It comes, come down comes the river with a whole lot of garbage. If, there, if the river was in flood, you'll see even more garbage higher up the bank. And noble citizen that you are, you go and you actually clean up the, the garbage. Next morning, what happens? There's garbage again. Because it came down the river. Now, if you actually go and walk up the river and go and see where is all this rubbish coming from, and you actually discover, oh, wait a minute, there's a rubbish dump further up the river. What are you going to do? You're going to actually deal with the issue there. It's going to be harder work, but that which happens downstream is going to be less of an issue if you deal with it upstream. Now, what we typically do is we try to put certain boundaries in place in our lives, but we never deal with a root issue. We never walk upstream to where the problem actually comes from. And I want us to actually just walk upstream a little bit today. We, we focus heavily on behavior modification, not so much on changing our hearts. And examples of how we do trash removal, like for example, if you have a gambling problem, what is it typically that we do? We say, just stay away from casinos. Right? If you have an anger problem, what do we say? Take a deep breath, count to ten, and move on. Those things are good. We need to deal with the stuff downstream as well. But it's not going to solve the problem in the long run. You've got marriage problems. What do we typically say? Schedule date nights, buy her a gift, buy her flowers. Those things are good and important. Guys, please do that. Okay? But if you've got marriage problems, there's something in the heart that is most likely that needs to shift. If you're drowning in debt, what do, what, what do we say? Cut, at your credit, cut up your credit card. Your weight spirals out of control one way or the other. What do we say? Get a healthy diet. Go to gym, etc., etc. And we deal with the stuff downstream and we don't just deal with it further upstream. Okay. All right, let's walk upstream here in one or two scenarios here. One scenario, I love the Lord. I don't have any issues with idolatry. My problem is that I tend to worry too much. I become very anxious. Let's walk upstream with this. There's nothing per se wrong with what this person is experiencing. We all worry at times. But here's the question, why do you worry too much? So what is in your heart that is causing all of that worry? Is it to have control of all the variables? Then control becomes your God. 
um, using that as an example. Let's take another example. That's my problem, plain and simple. You say, I'm a workaholic. How can I stop being one? The question there is, why do you work so much? Do you find your identity in your work? Is it to chase after money? Is it because you want a better this or a better status? Is it about promotion? What is it? And any of those can be then an idol. You still all with me? Yeah, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. In our context, why do you not come to church often? Why question again? It can be very legitimate. But what I pick up typically in our setup, sort of just poke at it and then I'm going to um, continue is along comes Jimmy, our newborn baby. Okay, this, for those that don't know, I don't really have a baby that's called Jimmy. Um, but what we tend to do is as, as soon as a baby arrives, we disappear for 6 to 12 months. Question, why? Nothing wrong with disappearing for 6 to 12 months. The, the problem, once again, is the why question. Is it... Because your child has been legitimately ill for the last 6 to 12 months and you really just need to cope with life for a moment, then it's sort of understandable. But if it is that while it's in my child's sleeping time, I want to just say that we need to train our children to organize their sleeping habits around our schedules of serving God. Because next year, the next baby comes, and next year, then it's school, and then it's primary school, and then it's high school. and then it's So we need to teach our children how to come back to, to that. Same, same question. Why do you neglect going to small group? <laughs> okay. same, same, same scenario. It is the why question. Okay, why, obviously, first ask the question, why is it important to go to small group? And if, once you realize, okay, well, God actually wants me to be there, then what, what is it that's keeping you from, from going if you know it's important? I, I, did, I did articles... Uh, when I, when I started working. Now, for those that are in consulting and have deadlines, and well, a lot of you guys have this kind of job, is that you have extended working hours. And it's expected of your man- from your manager, it's expected from your team leader, it's expected from the people around. It's expected from the working environment in Johannesburg, relatively. But unless you draw the line, nobody else is going to draw the line for you. So what I started doing is say, Wednesday evenings... I've got other commitments that starts at 7. I'll work until quarter to 7, but quarter to 7 I'm leaving because I've got other commitments. Why do people not ask, ask a mom, uh, why don't they frown at a mom that says, I need to leave with her children because it's socially acceptable? Why do people not ask Muslims to stay and work during lunch hour on a Friday because it's socially acceptable? We just sort of just roll over and say, well, you dictate the terms to us. Um, so what I want to say is that Every circumstance we are in, you, this choice still lies with you. No matter what your manager, no matter what your, who says from you, maybe you won't get a, as big a bonus at the end of the year, but ask, your, ask the question then, why is that bonus such an issue for you? Why is the promotion such an issue for you? If you know that God wants you to go to a small group, why aren't you prioritizing it? 
What is it that you're going to have to give up? Is there maybe an idol there in the behind all of that? Okay, so this is a lot of lot of talk. Okay, and I'm going to be talking throughout the trilogy about different idols, and I'm going to sort of just nudge on on, on different ones uh, during the course. But yeah, it's just a little bit of a background, just for you to um, help you identify maybe if there's an idol that's that's looming uh, beneath the surface. What is it that typically disappoints you? What do you complain about the most? Where do you make financial sacrifices? What worries you? Where is your sanctuary, your safe place? For some of us, it's the fridge. What infuriates you? What are your dreams? And what do you sacrifice time for? So those are just a sort of like a list of things just to help you to identify potential places of where there's an underlying idol that is sort of like governing the, the decisions that you are making. Good. Why is it? Why is why is idolatry an issue? And yeah, I just want to stand still because if you don't get this, this is going to be a list of do's or don'ts. If you don't get this part, then we sort of, sort of miss everything. Right, so make sure the guy next to you is awake because he can't miss this. Yeah. Exodus 20 verse, reading on from, from verse 5. Okay. There was God talking about you shall not make for, your, for yourself an image of anything. In verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. And it's interesting that often we, we relate jealousy with a negative term. Because we, we sort of get trained up, don't, don't be jealous of somebody else's stuff. And that is sort of like, that's legit. But in another portion of Scripture, um, God, like the next one, Exodus 34 verse 14. This is sort of still the same context. They're still up at the mountain. God saying to Moses, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Let me put this in context. Use Steph because he was up here earlier. If Steph goes and flirts with my wife, okay? I've never seen him done it, and I don't think he's still... He's got the fear of young George, and he's got the fear of God in him. Um, I've got a solid wife. Nobody's got ever, ever a chance with her. Okay. But anyway, let's say he does that. If there isn't a godly jealousy that comes up in me, what, is it, what does that communicate about my love towards my wife? If there isn't that, then there's an absence of value that I place on the covenant that I have with my wife. And then I'm like... Go for it. Okay. And I might disfigure him, even though he's stronger than I am. Beware husband's fury. Okay. So, but this is, this is similar with, with God. It's about covenant, and it's about the love of God. He's saying that I'm a jealous God, and he's saying it in the context of not having any idol, worshiping, worshiping any idol, worshiping anything else before him. Say, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's saying that in that context. 
So if you experiencing a drought in an area in your life, honestly, I'm not saying this is it, okay? I'm just saying, just sort of make a note. Is it maybe because you have the potential of making that an idol above God? That you're going to start worship. If you get the promotion, is your job going to become more important to you than God or not? Because then it's perhaps already more important than God. It's just you don't have the position. Same with marriage. Some of you are trusting God for spouses. I'm not saying this is the reason. I'm just saying be wary not to make marriage an idol. Everybody that's married here have realized that it is not God. And marriage does fall short of the, fall short of the glory of God. And we need God in our marriages. Amen. Okay, so if there's a drought, then just sort of think, because God, he, doesn't, he, he does not, He will not compete with other things in your life. He will dry up the, the circumstances around you to get your attention, to get to your heart, because He loves you that much. And whatever it takes, He, will, he, he, he doesn't want you to worship things around. He doesn't want you to worship your family. He doesn't want you to worship your, your job. He doesn't want, to, he want you to worship status. He doesn't want you to worship ministry for us that are in ministry. All of our worship, all of our affection needs to go to him. Okay. Um, read with me in uh, Revelation 2, verse 2 to 5. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. This is a letter written to one of the churches in, in the book of Revelation. In verse 3, And has persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. These are people that are doing great things for God. They are passionate about God and they are passionate about the things that, are, that God is passionate about but they've lost being passionate about God first. And this is what, what, what God is sort of telling this church, is come back to your first love. And he's saying, what, what do we do when we realize that there is an idol occupying the space that God is supposed to be occupying? It says it in the next verse, from verse 5. It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And that's sort of the answer, is that it starts with repentance. What is repentance? It's a couple of things, but it's coming back to the heart of God. Okay? It's turning away from the way that you used to do things, and you come back to the, to the heart of God. Covenant relationship. Your relationship with God is supposed to flow from Him, and the things that you are doing is supposed to flow from relationship with him. You won't attain relationship with him by doing all of the other stuff. He's saying, repent, come to me, and then do the first works. Don't do the first works and think you're going to then get, gain acceptance with me. Is if, you, if you sort out having God as your first love, the actions of your life is going to change as well. Okay. So whenever we're going to talk about in, in this trilogy about if you sort of like, oh, wait a minute, that, that might actually be me, then what do you do? You repent. And you go back to the things that you did at first. 
Okay? You know, sit at the, feet, at the feet, of, feet of Jesus and you spend time with him and you, and you, and you sort with this. Okay? So I'm going to see if I can get to two very prominent idols in our culture. We don't get to both, and I'll just I'll stop with a one, which which is very, very and there's obviously there's an exhaustive list that you can go to, but I want to sort of stand still at the temple of pleasure. Okay, we're going to look at three different temples, and today we're going to look, and in each of these temples there are three different gods, and today we might get to two of the gods in the first temple. Okay, which is the temple of pleasure. Okay, read with me there on the screen. You can follow there. There have always been games, stories, jokes, and songs, but today, pleasure is something close to the whole theme of daily living. We even expect our daily work to be pleasurable, much more than our ancestors did. In a society based on agriculture, nobody said, you know what? Plowing and tending cattle aren't enough fun for me. But these days, if it isn't fun, if it isn't pleasurable, we don't want to do it. It's where the older generation says, Amen. <laughs> Our younger generation, we stick to a job for two years, three years, and then we get bored and then we want to move on because it's not fun anymore. We don't like it anymore. Um, all right, you can read further with me on the screen. When we experience pleasure... There's a part of us that thinks, yes, this is what I was made for. Even if you haven't experienced much pleasure in your life, you've experienced enough to know that you want more. Thus begins the quest for the elusive narcotic of pleasure. And so the gods of pleasure whisper, wouldn't you like to scratch that itch? Wouldn't you like to satisfy that appetite? Wouldn't you like to experience that feeling? Wouldn't you like to get that high? I have what you are looking for right here. And so we walk into the temple of pleasure. And obviously, once again, God is a creative God, and he's created a lot of things for us for our pleasure. Okay, so get me right. I'm just saying that the moment we put pleasure on the pedestal of the reason of why we're doing certain things, and it doesn't become the, the mode about how we worship God, then it becomes a problem. Read with me 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, there's a lot of context there which I don't have the time to go into, but there's the standoff between God and the, and the Israelites wanting to worship Baal. And God uses the prophet Elijah to come and address this issue. What is interesting there is when Elijah gives them this option, they say nothing. Why? And it's similar with us. When we are forced to choose between God and pleasure, we say nothing sometimes. Why? Because we want both. We want God, but we want also the stuff on the side. There's certain things often that we don't like to give up. Amen? It's very quiet. It's okay. Here's a, here's a funny story. Okay, the, God, the first God that we're going to look at in the temple of pleasure is the God of 
food. Uh, it was like, what am I going to eat for lunch? <laughs> All right? Okay. Have you seen, those with the younger kids might, might have seen this movie, Over the Hedge? Who's familiar, familiar with Over the Hedge? Okay, quite, quite a few people. Okay. I'm going I'm to sort of read you an extract out of the movie. So this is RJ. It's a raccoon that sort of discovers that there's a lot of food in this town. It says, we eat to live, RJ says. These guys live to eat. RJ says, humans bring the food, take the food, ship the food, and drive the food. He points to passing trucks with pictures, with pictures of food on them. It seems that everything people do involves food. That is the altar where they worship food, says RJ, as the family prays around the dinner table. He points to the treadmill. That gets rid of the guilt so they can eat more food. <laughs> food, food, food. Okay, so I just want to re-emphasize. Food, God has made food for our enjoyment. Amen? Okay. Very glad God didn't just make carrots and say, this is for your sustenance. Yeah, spit brai. Amen. Last Sunday, last Sunday of the month, spit brai. Okay. <laughs> We're going to worship the sheep to the Lord, okay? <laughs> We're not going to worship the sheep itself. Okay. Okay, eating is good and to be enjoyed. God created it that way. The problem is when we start looking to food to do it for us, what only God's supposed to be doing for us. Ever heard of the word comfort food? Amen. <laughs> we typically, when we feel down, what is it that you do? Eat. We eat ice cream. We want chocolate. We want a good wine. We run to those things, and it's, and it's, I mean, it's, it's sort of silly things, but it's, it's, a, it's a slight change in how do you approach it. Why don't you go to God first for your comfort and then have, have ice cream with him? You can dish up ice cream for him as well, and you see he doesn't eat his, you can take his as well. <laughs> all right, so it, it, it all is, it depends on where, where, what it is that you find your source of, in this, in this instance, comfort or joy. And, um, I mean, God, it's, it's amazing what fellowship gets established when we have a meal together. I want to encourage you as a small group, if you don't have meals together every week, make a point of having a meal together maybe once a month, either in small group or outside of group. It's amazing what community gets established around food. However, the focus needs to obviously be in God again. Okay. Okay, so what to do if you realize that food is a problem? Okay, some people... Um, Really, get, really struggle with this, and I don't want to, and I don't mean it lightly. Is you struggle a lot with your weight because you you run to food for your comfort, you eat and eat and eat and eat, and you you don't get satisfied. Why don't you get satisfied? Because God didn't create it that way. It's not supposed to fill the void of what you are looking for it to fill. Okay, so go to God with what it is that you are looking for, the satisfaction. From within the comfort and the safety is within God. And then from that place you can enjoy food with Him and with your friends, etc. The inverse of that thing is true as well. People, 
And this is not really the God that I'm talking about here, but some people struggle with anorexia. Why? Sort of stems from food, but it's the inverse of that. And often it's got to do with identity. If you have a secure identity within God, if you find your identity in God, then this idol won't be an issue. So once again, I want to invite you, come and do Legacy. That's a third in the Encounter series. deals a lot with identity and destiny. Who you are, where you're going. Um, make a point of, of getting that to that if you, haven't, if you haven't done it. Again, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Did you guys hear the announcements at the beginning of this of uh, church? We're having a fast tomorrow to Wednesday. See how that God of food manifests. <laughs> if you've never fasted, okay, maybe consider just fasting for 24 hours with us on Wednesday. Um, it, wh- why do we fast? It, it, on the one side, Annie has explained this previously very well. On the one side, we're letting go of the things of the earth, and we're taking a hold of God. We're taking a hold of God's kingdom. Okay, so you need to pray. You need to fast, abstain from certain things, and pray and take a hold of what God's what God is saying. Um, that's a very short narrative on it, but it. Fasting is biblical, go and read it. Jesus fasted, his disciples fasted, etc. He said, when you fast, don't look as if you are fasting, basically. Okay? He's saying, when you fast, by assumption, he's saying that they were in a culture of fasting. I don't say if you fast, when you fast. So, um, if you have um, health issues, I want to ask you to consider maybe then just doing a partial fast. You can't physically abstain from food for 24 hours, um, then, then consider doing a partial, like a Daniel fast, just fruit and veg. I mean, just eat fruit and veg. Don't fast from fruit and veg, okay? Um, okay. All right, so join us, because we're going we're gonna to be praying around what's God's vision for us. Okay, so, so what to do is repent and return to your first love. Okay, I'm going to run through this last God in five minutes' time, and then we're going to pray. The other God that is typically in the temple of pleasure is the God of entertainment. Okay. The God of entertainment. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we had a, we had a guest speaker here, Brad Huddleston, and he's talking about screen addiction. He wrote the book called Digital Cocaine, and uh, he goes into the neurological science side of it and the technological side of it and then obviously intimacy with God as well. And, and, and that's a very good um, sermon to listen to. Um, it's on showforonline.tv. We, we videoed it as well, so um, you can reference back to that. Okay, so what is the problem with entertainment? Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1 and then verse 10 to 11. This is Solomon. Now remember, he was a very wise guy. I don't get it sometimes how a guy as wise as him marries a thousand wives. But anyway, this is a different conversation for a different day. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Ecclesiastes, a lot of it, what he's going through is just meaningless. He tries different things, meaningless, meaningless. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, 
and this was my reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that, I, all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And we're going to get back to what his conclusion was right at the end of Ecclesiastes in a minute. Read with me on the screen. It says, Our boredom, this is also just an extract out of the book, Our boredom didn't appear, our word boredom didn't appear in, the in, in English until the industrial age. Yep, that was about the time modern entertainment began to evolve. And yet the word amusement actually comes from the world of worship. Amusement has its root word in the word muse. The muses were female Greek gods who were said to inspire great writing, science, and artistic achievement. They were gods of reflection. When we add the A, like as an amusement, as a prefix, it brings in the idea of lacking. So amusement is the lack of inspiration, the lack of reflection. That's sort of like an interesting thing to note. Yeah, so we, we seek amusements because we don't want to think. Haven't you ever wandered into the living room after a hard day and just wanted to vegetate? Yes. <laughs> to watch something, to watch, sorry, there's a typo, to watch something mindless. That's fine up to a point, but don't miss this truth. Instead of inspiring our bored and apathetic existence, the God of entertainment makes us more that way. Instead of being entertained, we increasingly become the opposite, bored. Interesting, right? Here's a conclusion of what Solomon writes at the end of Ecclesiastes. That's the whole story. Here, now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. Okay, we were made for God, and until He is our greatest pleasure, all the other pleasures of this life will lead to emptiness. Like Augustine, in the 15th, 15th centuries ago, he wrote, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in Thee. Now, there's a lot that I can say about entertainment. Just one thing, practically, out of our, out of our life. We, uh, we had DSTV at home. And I found that for us as pastors, we, we often we work in, in the evenings because most of you are at work during the day. Um, not that we don't work during the day. We do office things in the day. Um, sort of digressed there completely. But anyway, um, I'm thinking about a story that Rick Russo said that when he went to play golf once, the congregation, one of the congregation was, oh, it must be nice to be a pastor being able to play some golf. And uh, not knowing that often the pastors actually work harder than, than them. But anyway, that's just a side story. What was I saying? DSTV. DSTV. So I'm glad you were listening. Um, so a while ago, probably about two or three months ago, I realized that our TV was stealing of the time that I was sp supposed to be spending with my wife. Or, so, what we, so what we did, we did... Um, Symptom removal. We watch TV together. Okay? <laughs> it's, not as if you, it's not as if you talk to one another while you watch TV. Anyway, um, so, what, so what, we, what I found was happening is that we spend time together, but we connect less. 
So eventually, that on the one side, and then the other evenings when I didn't actually plan to do something that evening with my time, what do I default to? I default to, what, to switching the TV on. When it's the IPL, I watch IPL. When it's tennis, then we watch tennis. If it's cricket, then we watch if it's rugby. That's, that's what we default to. Like, ah, uh, I'm just going to... And what do we later on say? Like, how many hundreds of channels is there on DSTV? How often have you heard yourself say, there's nothing on? It's because the more you watch, the more bored you become with it. Okay? Anyway, so what we did is, um, I just felt that God was convicting me to, to get rid of it. Okay? So we deactivated our DSTV. And out there in the world, it's a foreign concept to not have TV in your house. For the first two years of our marriage, we did not have a physical TV in our house. My colleagues were like, so what do you do? <laughs> and I'm like, well, we live life. <laughs> and we talk to one another. Um, anyway, so, so we deactivated our DSTV. We still have the dish up. We still have the TV. So when we do actually want to watch a movie, we plan it. And we go and rent the DVD. And then, and then it's planned, and it doesn't actually steal time out of our family, family lives. Okay. So that's just a practical example of one way of how we've sort of got identified that the God of entertainment has sort of, sort of have a stronghold in our life. And yes, I dealt with the downstream, but I did repent and say, Lord, I realize that sometimes you want me to actually sit, put certain evenings aside where you want me to pray for people. You want me to spend time with my wife, with my kids, etc. Um, so I know that that relates to none of you here. Um, but consider this. What to do? Switch off the screen. And I'm not just talking about TVs. I'm talking about these things as well. Repent and return to your first love. Consider fasting on, of any or all means of entertainment. Facebook, social media, it all relates to this screen addiction. Uh, go and listen to Brad Huddleston's sessions if you haven't. I had a conversation with one of my friends over the weekend. Uh, he, he said, like, I asked him, what did you do after you listened to that? And for the first few days, was very good at dealing with the symptoms. Like, oh, I'm going to deal with it. But a couple of weeks down the line, just as much as Facebook, you just have as many status updates, you just as much scroll through. And Facebook is funny, eh? You just, half an hour later, you're still on it. Um, you know, it's just the some of the smiles and the nods, yeah. Um, and obviously, we, we, wanna, we have a desire to connect more with people. What, what, what social media tends to do is we get less connected with those in our immediate, that's in the same room as us. Um, so by all means, I mean, spend some time on Facebook, but don't forget about the people around you in the same room as you and build authentic relationship. I just want to revisit the critical point that I made before we had a look at these two gods. And if you're going to go and try and do behavior modification without embracing the Father's heart for you as an individual then you're going to feel like God is just spoiling your fun. Then you're going to feel like God is a spoil sport. And He really is not. He is just really after your heart. That's why He's a jealous God. And He, he is supposed to be number one and the only one. 
My marriage flows from my covenant with God. My covenant relationship with my wife flows from my covenant relationship with Jesus. My work flows from there. My relationship with food needs to flow from there. My relationship with entertainment flows from there. And if God is not going to be number one in your life, He's either Lord of everything of you, or He's not Lord at all. So I want to revisit that. And if, if you're here today and you've, you realize that Jesus is not number one in your life, let me just backtrack a little bit. If you've never made Jesus number one in your life, for a lot of us, like with, with me, identifying that entertainment was an, was, was an issue, the God of entertainment was an issue, I still had a relationship with God in that time. But if you're here today and you actually have never entered into a covenant relationship with God, and you want to come into that relationship with God, I'd love to pray with you. Let's just, all of us, just close our eyes just for, for a moment. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is, is talking to a couple of individuals here specifically. What is covenant relationship? Covenant is not dating. Covenant is everything, 100%, from your side and from God's side. God has already given 100% on the cross. And He's inviting you into that covenant relationship of also giving 100% of laying down your life. And if you've never actually made that sum about that giving up your life means I'm laying down everything and you want to make that decision right now, I want you to be bold and just to raise your hand. Just high, It's not to put you on show. Everybody's eyes are closed. and It's for you to do business with God right now. For God really, really loves you extremely abundantly. But He also loves you too much to leave you in the way that you are. Thank you. I see you again. Thank you. If you've raised your hand, you're welcome to lower it again. I believe that there's one more person here that sort of like you're doing a calculation in your head, and that's good. I don't want to knock you on that. That's good. Jesus says, count the cost before you make a decision to follow me. But I want to say in that calculation, that which we give up on this side of eternity far outweighs the covenant relationship that we enter into in this life and in the next. So if that is you, I want you to be bold and just to raise your hand. I just want to link with something that um, young George said. Now, I just feel... Um, Jan George said that God is a, a jealous God um, and, and you know the reason why Oprah Winfrey, she, she grew up in church and the reason she left church was because she heard those scriptures that said God is a jealous God and said well I don't want anything to do with a God like that but like Jan George says it's not jealousy in the negative stereotypical way that, that we often think about it, it's an expression of God's love and I, and I, I just want to emphasize that here in, in Mark 10 uh, Jesus talking to a rich young man and, and the, this guy says you know teacher all these things I've kept since my uh, since, since I was a boy and then it says Jesus looked at him and loved him and he said one thing you lack and he said go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth and the reason why his wealth stuck to his hand is because he had a hold on his heart but, but listen to what it says Jesus was confronting his idol 
because his wealth was his idol. That was where he found his security. That's what, what he loved more than God, more than Jesus, so much so that he wasn't willing to give it up to come and follow Jesus. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. I just want to really emphasize this morning that, that if, if, God is, if Jesus is challenging some idols in your life and asking you to let go of certain things, it's really because he loves you. He loves us more than we realize. He really does. And if he's, if he's making war on your idols, it's, it's a war of love. If he's jealous, it's not jealous because he feels like he's not getting enough. It's not a selfish. His jealousy is not selfish. It's selfless. He wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is him. He knows that the best thing he can give you is himself. So, so really get God's heart after this. You know, if he's challenging you, if he's saying let go of something, relinquish something, let go of that idol, it's because Jesus is looking at you and loving you. And he's wanting what's best for you.